Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, this is Michael McNutt with Weedy. This episode looks at ransomware and healthcare from an interesting perspective, those who are on the receiving end of an incident. From our December 2020 special event on cybersecurity, we have John Klimek of NCPDP and Andrew Fitzpatrick of X12 discussing their respective ransomware incidents that took place earlier that year. This was moderated by Weedy's Privacy and Security Workgroup co-chairs, Marilyn Zygmunt Luke from AHIP and Tina Grandy from the Healthcare Leadership Council. Well, Tina, I think what we're going to do first is talk a bit with John Klimek, who is the Senior VP of Industry and Information Technology for the National Council for Prescription Drug Programs, or as we commonly call it, NCPDP. And we're also going to hear a bit from Andrew Fitzpatrick, who is with operations and licensing for X12. For those of you who know, X12 does a lot in terms of standard development and publishing technologies. And Andrew has really been a strong advocate for a lot of the stakeholder initiatives and collaboration that we've seen. I think maybe it would be best, Tina, if you're okay with it, is that if we could ask uh, John and Andrew to sort of open it up with telling us a little bit about themselves and their experience and talk about what it is from a ransomware perspective that brings them to join us today. Great, thanks, Marilyn. So we're opening the floor to John, John or Andrew? Yep, okay, great. This is John, can you hear me? Yes, we can see you now, John. Oh, perfect, thanks. So um, just again, a little bit about NCPDP. We're a not-for-profit organization uh, that that basically develops standards that are used in pharmacy and, and in healthcare in general. Uh, probably our most uh, noted uh, standards are the telecom standard, which is a standard between the pharmacies and uh, the payers, and then also the script standard, which is the e-prescribing standard. So. Um, a little bit about uh, our ransomware attack. I'll just go through it a little bit in chronological order as to what happened, some of the notes that came out of everything, and we're still working on some of the issues <clears throat> as we speak. Uh, but the actual attack uh, uh, took place on Sunday, September 27th, uh, at around 4.30 a.m. in the morning. Uh, nothing like getting a call from your IT manager at that time that says that we've been attacked. <clears throat> so um, it, it certainly brought most of my worst fears to life, uh, trying to then from that point on, trying to figure out what we needed to, to do next. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, the, the first thing was is to take all of our systems offline, uh, disconnect our VPNs, our internal Wi-Fis, our networks, our servers, um, just basically take everything down <clears throat> um, to basically make sure that uh, nothing was uh, sent between some of our other endpoints. Uh, just as a side note, <clears throat> since March, we've been, uh, all of our staff has been remote wor- working. So uh, most, most people that access our systems in the remote uh, process is, is through the VPN process. And so that was important for us to make sure that we took care of that um, and then also look to see how we might be able to uh, still support our external staff. 
<clears throat> the next thing was obviously preserve the evidence and do backups on, on the infected uh, uh, products that we had. Um, <clears throat> we also, on that Monday morning, notified our cyber insurance uh, company. Uh, we actually had two policies. Um, and then basically to work with them to determine next steps. Um, they, obviously, they have a list of vendors that they wanted us to work with um, as far as forensic IT vendors. Uh, so uh, we first reached out uh, to one of those forensic IT shops uh, that Monday morning. Um, and then also we created an internal incidents response team that basically met every, every morning, uh, really early in the morning, uh, and also included weekends uh, just to get through some of the issues that we were working on. Uh, we obviously also secured a cyber attack attorney. Um, and then using our forensic IT vendor, uh, determined that the threat actor that was identified was LockBit, uh, which basically locked our files up and we could not access them. So again, we, you know, we, we, we began the assessment of all of our internal files and our backups, which were affected. Um, <clears throat> the systems that were not affected were our website services, which is, which is uh, where all of our member portal is at, our, our email, which is Office 365, our data, database products that we sell was not affected, um, and then also our external task group activities or our collaborative tool uh, was also not affected. So you know, we, we had some good things actually come out of it uh, where we were protected, uh, but some some of the most uh, uh, severe processes that were affected were our internal servers and file systems. Uh, and then through the forensic IT shop, we began the process of uh, contacting the, 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 the threat actors to figure out what we needed to do. Um, their first response was is that they were seeking $100,000 in ransom. Uh, looking at some of the things that, that I was able to pull in a very short period of time, uh, there was a lot of uh, discussions around making sure that you do not pay ransoms immediately, that you don't trust the ransomware authors. Uh, there's a one in 20 chance that uh, they'll take your money and not provide a decryptor. So basically still leaving you flat. Um, and then also the, the, the cryptor may not work properly, even if you do pay a ransom and they do supply that. Um, so all, all of this was something that our forensic IT shop wanted to make sure that we were fully aware as we started to go into this process. Uh, so um, what we did, what we did from, from there is obviously continue with our forensic IT shop that we were working with um, to make sure that our endpoints were secure uh, we used a, a program that, 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 they, uh, that they manage uh, to basically monitor all of our systems, uh, our endpoints as we, as we moved forward from that point. Uh, then we started to try to restore our affected data. Uh, we began the decryption process. Um, some files did not like to be de decrypted. Uh, we had a lot of issues with, with some systems. Uh, in particularly our fi financial uh, reporting system, um, which you know seems to have have taken the, probably the worst hit. We actually had to go to an outside consultant to help us try to get that back up on uh, online. And really, it, we just got it back up online last week, so um, it, it, it took that long. Um, 
And then the one important thing was is that our, our, our internal systems, we don't retain any credit card information or anything else. All of that is handled through PayPal. So again, we, you know, we, we were safe in that regard. Um, then through our cybersecurity, uh, uh, legal, uh, we decide, decided that uh, we needed to uh, notify, obviously, our NCPDP members, um, but then also making sure that uh, we, we told them that no member inf information was uh, accessed, again, because that was through an uh, external website uh, server that we used. Um, <clears throat> we did uh, notice that, obviously, with our internal systems, employee information was compromised. Uh, so uh, we provided a two-year subscription to our staff uh, to subscribe to LifeLock just to make sure that they were covered. Um, <clears throat> moving forward, and again, we're uh, almost three months into this and we're still, again, trying to retrieve and re revive some of our, our systems. Uh, so there are some things that we've already put in place and some things that we're working on right now. Uh, <clears throat> we, we decided to use the Microsoft OneDrive uh, for all of the staff personal drives, whereas in the past we had internal servers that 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 supplied that that storage for them. So again, that's uh, you know gives us some opportunity there for cloud-based storage. Um, we also uh, went with an outside IT service uh, for managed detection and response uh, to you know to, to uh, cyber attacks and malware. Uh, again, looking at some automated identity management there for us to make sure that we were covered. Uh, we started to implement two-factor authentications for some of our uh, programs such as Office 365 and our VPN services. Um, and, then, and then continue to, uh, to train our employees on cybersecurity principles and phishing attacks. It's really kind of Interesting because probably about three or four months before our attack, uh, we decided to use an outside company to help us with the uh, cyber training and fish and, and um, uh, cyber test, a phishing test. Um, and that was actually going very well. We only had a couple of our staffers that, that clicked on and opened up um, emails that they shouldn't have. Uh, so we kind of thought that that was actually doing well for us. Um, but like I said, you know, how they got in, um, the ransom attack on September 27th, we're still, we're still trying to assess that. Um, but going forward, we want to make sure that we have all of our bases covered in everything that we do. Um, so that's really about where we're at, again, in chronological order. <clears throat> again, we're still fighting through some of our uh, issues with some of our files. Uh, but I, I'd say we're probably about 80% there right now, so. This, is, this has been very interesting. To the extent that you're comfortable sharing, uh, how did you catch it in the first place? Was it automated? A person detected something? Do you have any yeah. insight on that? Yeah, it was, it was my IT manager that actually got a notice um, and went into the internal systems to see that there was some activity happening on a Sunday at 4 o'clock in the morning, which didn't seem right. Um, and we do have some staff that work late hours, but on a Sunday, that seemed kind of unusual. So after, after looking into the system, uh, found uh, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, some of our uh, files had the LockBit extension on it, um, and basically a, a text message attached to it saying that this was ransomware and um, 
that a ransom was going to be expected. Um, and then they gave us some, just some, some general information as to what to do next. That's great. That person certainly deserves the Employee of the Month Award. And then <laughs> just, just sort of another question before, Tina, I turn it back to you and we uh, move on to our next um, panelist for their insight. But how do you know once you, you're working through this, whether you've got the ransom key and you said sometimes the key works, sometimes it doesn't, how do you yeah. know if the data has been compromised or if it's what you're going to get back is still going to be accurate? That, that's a really good question. Um, and again, I, I think in our decryption process, for a lot of our files, uh, they, they, they tended to decrypt uh, rather easily. <clears throat> um, and, and again, our forensic IT shop that we were working on, uh, we spent multiple hours uh, you know, with them night and day uh, to, uh, to work on some of the things that we were seeing uh, through that decryption process. <clears throat> and again, as I stated earlier, there were some file systems that uh, just did not like the fact that they were decrypted or going through the decryption process. And those two well, was the financial system. And then we also have an internal file system uh, that, that, that we use. Um, and they actually use um, <coughs> software to manage those files. And what happens is, is that when, when files are altered, changed uh, through the uh, encryption process, uh, and again, this was brought to our attention from the forensic IT shop, was even through the decryption process, that doesn't guarantee you that those files are going to look and smell the same. There, there's going to be some differences. And, and those differences is what's caught, what caused some of the issues in bringing up some of our, uh, our other systems, such as our financial system and our, and our file system. So, um, yeah, it was again, brought to our attention from the forensic IT shop that um, the decryption process is not going to, in many cases, is not going to be a 100% clean process. That's a really interesting perspective. Tina, do you have any additional questions? I, I don't at this point, but happy to start with the introduction of Andrew Fitzpatrick from X12. If Andrew's, we've got Andrew, correct? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for Hi. joining today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. I think it's like, you know, obviously it's been talked about at length already today is that if, if you know, constant learning, I think as Kevin had said, is, is such a critical thing, not just for each of our organizations, but for all of us together. And I hope that through what the challenges we've had, I think, you know, between, and John and I have talked, you know, many times since this has happened, um, is if we can learn from each other, you know, and if anyone can learn from what we've been through today um, to prevent going through the same challenges, and that would be well worth the time. Um, and I'm going to try not to repeat some of what John said, because we did follow very similar processes. Um, however, there are some pretty fundamental differences in what we went through. Um, ours actually also happened early on a Sunday morning. It was back the end of March. Um, and it's one of those, I'm kind of my normal early Sunday morning ritual is, you know, having a coffee, um, reading the paper while the rest of my family is still asleep. And I got a text message from one of our technical leads saying, can I call you? And I'm thinking, that's really strange. Why is on a Sunday morning? That's which then my heart started racing, you know, thinking, what, what's this about? So I talked to him 
And we actually had a, um, we have 24 by seven monitoring of our um, systems. Um, we've got a kind of a hybrid architecture in, we had a lot of our public facing, um, not to applications, mostly websites, um, were uh, hosted on virtual machines and co-location centers. So we actually owned the servers, we'll say. Many of our internal systems were already transitioned to some of the bigger cloud service providers um, that had some pretty extensive um, protections already. So fortunately or unfortunately, our situation was a little bit different in what was encrypted for us was the public facing stuff. All of our internal systems weren't touched, um, but our public facing stuff was essentially uh, turned off. And how we learned about it was uh, the, the 24 by seven monitoring uh, company we have alerted us, caught it in process um, and which probably minimized the impact of what actually did get encrypted or ransomed um, and then quickly shut everything down. So all of a sudden Sunday morning, now I also say is we get pretty high volume of visitors on a daily basis, but it is Monday through Friday. So as um, I didn't kind of give a background on X12, I think most people probably already know X12 is a standards development association, very similar to NCPDP, um, nonprofit, anti-accredited, and has been doing this, um, developing and maintaining business business transaction standards for, gosh, over 40 years now. Um, we also work across industries, so not just in healthcare and insurance, but um, you know retail, supply chain, transportation, and so forth. Um, so that was, that was my really brief history or, or background on X12. Um, we, I would say, have not fully recovered. Um, we made some conscious decisions after it happened. Um, we notified um, all of X12 members first and then for the general public that we know about that were registered with us. Um, thankfully, as far as um, our cybersecurity experts forensically looking at this, we did not have any information um, extricated or extracted from our systems, but it was simply encrypting uh, almost exclusively virtual servers um, and exiting, um, leaving a ransom note similar to what John referenced. We, it was a different, we got hit what was called, I believe, NetWalker. Um, and it, we you know, contacted the FBI. Uh, we opened a case with the Department of Homeland Security, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, as well as the local authorities. And um, they did some follow-up with us. Um, they did report back that they were pretty uh, convinced it was an Eastern European crime syndicate. But that's kind of as far as we got as identifying who actually did it. Uh, we don't believe it was through an email phishing attack. We do believe um, it was through the publicly available um, website. And the way our infrastructure worked before or from public facing, although much of what we had appeared as one website, there was a collect it's a collection of probably 30 different websites using different technologies. Um, admittedly, some of those technologies were dated um, and had not been upgraded to the latest and greatest. And that was probably the point um, where they infiltrated uh, more vector we believe, as best we can tell. 
All that being said, we kind of looked at what is the impact, most valuable thing I think Expo has and provides to the industries it serves is its standards. None of that was touched. We were left in a situation, though, um, even though we had backups of looking at what do we stand up and what is the risk of standing up outdated um, technology versus rebuilding. And we have seized the opportunity for the most part to rebuild, um, retooled, and for the most part in a, a almost entirely cloud uh, computing environment um, between uh, primarily, I mean, Microsoft, um, AWS, and some of uh, Google services as well. Um, so we've kind of went across all three, and um, we are still working with a um, cybersecurity firm to still try to decrypt uh, what was encrypted. We've limited a focus or basically prioritized what they're working on, um, and it is mostly just to recover data if we can. And it is mostly for historical purposes. Not There's nothing um, that we haven't recovered from that hasn't enabled us to move forward. But it would be awfully nice to look at some of what's happened over the last 40 years and be able to have that easily available. Um, so that's kind of, I think, the short version of what we've been through and are, are still going through to some extent. That, and that's, I have, oh, I'm sorry, Tina, I just had one question for Andrew. I was just going to ask you, you know, because of the work that you that your organization does, do you think that the person who started the campaign may have been a foreign state actor or were you able to eventually identify the originator of the attack? Uh, all we know or what have been reported to us from the FBI was that they believe it was a um, Eastern European crime syndicate is their exact words. Um, so don't know if it was actually a foreign government um, funded or initiated or at all. We do believe, and obviously a lot of the majority of visitors to our website, which, you know, in the close to, I guess, about 10,000 a day at business day, um, are healthcare related. So we believe one of the reasons we were targeted is because the volume of unique visitors that hit the site, as well as healthcare related post-pandemic, early post-pandemic. But we think that is what kind of brought us up on the their hit list, we'll say. Yeah, I, I was going to say, Andrew. Thank, thank you, Tina. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, not at all. No, that's that's fine, Marilyn. Not at all. I, I wanted to, first of all, thank Andrew for and and everybody who's on this panel for giving us their experiences and sharing it with the group, because I think it can be very difficult to expose your experiences to a large audience. But it is so beneficial for everybody to hear about how these happen and what kind of responses are needed in order to carry forward. And Andrew, you kind of ha almost talked about a silver lining in terms of being able to retool and rebuild because of what happened to X12. But a question came in that I that is also, I've been thinking throughout the day with these sessions, a lot of what we've heard previous to this session has been in the HIPAA world with like covered entities and business associates who have the HIPAA security rule almost as a framework or a backstop to be ready to a degree, and I wasn't sure, Andrew, if you could fill us in, is X12 outside of the HIPAA framework? And if so, um, were breaches and fines associated with any identifiable health information or was this more 
um, an accumulation of information used for commercial purposes that didn't have identifiable information about individuals? And, and were there any, um, were you caught in the crosshairs, so to speak, in the same way a HIPAA covered entity or business associate is when they're a victim, but at the same time potentially facing fines as breaching information? Yeah, good question. Uh, so I would say to answer the last part of that, no, we weren't cross, uh, caught in the crosshairs. Um, we are not a covered entity under HIPAA. We don't handle, I mean, these are transaction standards that are used um, by healthcare entities, um, but we do not um, have access or have ever stored any of um, personally identifiable information related to healthcare services. Um, the other thing and similar, you know, from a financial service perspective and similar to what John said, we haven't ever stored credit card information in any of our systems, um, which, you know, really thankful for that. In fact, there's times over the past 10 years or so that we've considered it. Um, and I'm really glad at this point that we didn't because that obviously um, removed, um, avoided a lot of the risk um, as well. Excellent. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for sharing that experience with, with the folks on the webinar today, Andrew. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.